Michael Mann wasn't going to have any of it and he sued and in a DC court the jury sided with Michael Mann. After, as Phelan says, a lengthy court case in which, and those of you who have been faithfully listening will know, the case was not made. Michael no. Mann did not make a case. And he certainly didn't make up a case for damages. They were He was so unsuccessful at proving damages. Even this awful jury agreed. And yes. they awarded him $1 in damages. $1, they said, yes. basically. That that's in how much... Compensatory damages. That that's how much he was injured. Hello and welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. Hello and I am Phelan McAleer. And I'm Anne McElhenney. Yes. That took me a while, sorry about that. No, (laughs) I think everything's taken us a while. We're just back from DC, from the Mark Stein, from Million Dollar Man. Yes. Uh, So uh, we're going to give you all the inside scoop on the Man versus Stein trial, all the details, all the atmosphere and all the news. So Mm -hmm. hang on to that. Yes. Uh, and we're going to interview the man better known as Five for Fighting, John Andrasik, on his new song about Israel. You might remember him from the music from the Gosnell movie, by the way. He wrote a beautiful song for the Gosnell movie. And it's Valentine's Day, um, so we have a delightful recipe from the archives. And it's from the archives because we're still recovering from getting back from, from Washington, D.C., spending live, living in a hotel for a month. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really recommend it. Yes. And we had a wee earthquake, by the way, on the day we got back. And um, our cameras, our security cameras managed to capture my reaction to the earthquake. You're going to have to wait for that. And obviously, we'll have our editor bleep out some of yes. the language that I might have used when said earthquake occurred. Yes. And Top Cat appears briefly in the... Uh, in this action-packed sequence. Yes. So, <laughs> so Mark Stein, Anne. Um, first of all, just to anyone who doesn't know, we did a a podcast on the Mark Stein trial. Now, it's a verbatim podcast. It's unique. Mark Stein said, it, you know, I think said in one of his commentaries, it's, it's a unique and ver- most entertaining, it was the most entertaining aspect of the trial. So what we did was we would get the transcripts at the end of the day. We would edit them down to the most dramatic uh, contretemps of the day. And we would have actors reenact them here in L.A. Uh, we would do commentary on it. It would all be edited at an unknown location in a secret location in Ireland. And it would be in your inbox the next morning. Um, it was called Climate Change on Trial. It was at one stage the top five science podcast in the world, top two science podcast in the U.K., top four science podcast in, in Canada. In Canada. Yes. But just look at the uh, look at the the comments in the Apple I just, podcast. I'm, I'm just looking at one of the comments here. Actually, funny enough, I didn't notice this before from somebody called Locked in Scaries, Dublin, <laughs> um, and and the title of it is Manslaughter. Brilliant coverage of the Mark Stein trial. This has been my priority, must listen to for two weeks. Well done, Alan Film. Somebody else wrote. Very excellent and informative, very entertaining, very insightful coverage of this important trial. The combination of actors reading the transcript and the commentary is powerful. Gratitude. You've taken an upsetting lawsuit and made it understandable and very entertaining. I haven't experienced this much, laugh- much laughter in ages. Thank you. Wonderful. I'm not sure if it's the Irish lilt as a Texan with an Irish surname or the commentary, but Phelim and Anne are delightful to steal from Anne's vernacular or fascinating, to use mine. Fabulous. What a wonderful find. Insightful, entertaining and engaging. I'm going to miss the coverage when the trial is over. I mean, the on one, and on and on. The one I liked, actually, which I'm now trying to find, of course, which I oh, can't find. Oh, I know the one. The, yes. The feline one. 
No, oh, no. no. What's, what's the feline one? There was one about somebody talking about feline. You know, they made some kind of cat reference. No, no. no this is the well, the one I liked was the, the one with the thirteen year old boy in the oh, car. Oh, the child in the car. I didn't know the child's sex was identified, but I yes, that the teenager was in the car and was saying, and the teenager it, normally says to the parent. Oh yeah, actually, hi, is it? It's right. from a- Andrea. I won't give her full name. A high compliment. My thirteen year old, who normally can't stand listening to my podcast in the car, said, "Wait." Leave this on. This one is pretty interesting. So, um, if you want to, if you want your children educated about climate change, actually, they could do worse than listen to this podcast because it's got it's got all the it's got uh, the drama of a, a courtroom, uh, but you learn a lot along the way. And the I jury didn't learn a lot, but um, a lot of a lot of lawyers, by the way, wrote, including one lawyer here, as a lawyer from the very first episode of Climate Change on Trial. I was captivated. Hosts Anne McElhenney and Phil McLear bring an extraordinary dy- dynamism to a complex subject. That's just the beginning of that a very a very long and very very nice review. Well, uh, it's funny. Um, there was a lot of lawyers came into the court. Actually, a lot of lawyers in the area in the in the DC area in the Virginia area. Um, yes. who, who would listen to the podcast and then come in, realize, oh, I can go in. So we met maybe a dozen lawyers over the trial who'd all come in and had listened to the podcast. And we, and to be fair, a lot of them donated and helped to make it because they saw how important yeah. this case was. So we will ask again, actually, if you haven't donated. Please donate. Please yes. donate. Listen to the podcast. I mean. I, well, I, I, lo- I like a comment we got from our editor, um, our editors in Ireland, and he said one of the um, slip ups that was made, I made a slip up apparently, you know, shockingly, I know. After a 14, you, 14 hour day. How yes. you can imagine, I made a mistake. And so I, instead of saying, you know, I was saying, you know, please do donate and whatever. And I was, you know, in an unreported story society or whatever. And apparently on one stage I said, please donate to the unsupported podcast. Unsupported, but you know, it's like, you idea. know, and actually maybe we should change it to unsupported. Yes. But um, no, we are supported and we have lovely supporters, but but we definitely haven't um, gotten the, you know, we haven't we haven't quite met the, the, the threshold of the costs that we incurred. Let's just actually um, play a little bit of the podcast. And this is Mark people. Stein's, an excerpt from Mark Stein's closing speech, which we ran in full. Um, this is an actor. Yeah. Reenacting Mark's speech uh, at the beginning, I have to say, I was go- I was kind of nervous that people wouldn't like him. I was kind of nervous actually that Mark Stein wouldn't like him. But Mark was a real trooper. He loved him, you yes. know. And I suppose Mark understands acting. He understands Broadway. He understands all that, and he understands it's not you're not trying to mimic someone. You're trying to capture someone. Yeah. And we think he did. So let's play a little excerpt from the the closing speech of Mark Stein. I do, quote, stand on the truth of every word I wrote about Michael Mann, his fraudulent hockey stick, and the corrupt investigative process at Penn State, unquote. Can we put it up on the easel? Here is one of the two statements at issue in this case. There it is, published 15th of July 2012, and even if faced with another 12 years of ruinous litigation in the United States... I would write it exactly the same today. The weirdest exchange I have had during this trial came during my examination by plaintiff's counsel a week and a half back. Can we put this up on the screen, please? Brian? Trial testimony under oath from the morning of January 23rd, page 35, line 6. I tell Mr. Williams here that at the time of the statement at issue, I had been, quote, writing on and off about Penn State and Sandusky for most of the previous year. And Mr. Williams responded, 
This Penn State scandal and Sandusky was right in your wheelhouse, right? Wheelhouse, as a figure of speech, is an Americanism. It doesn't really exist in the rest of the English-speaking world, in Scotland or India or New Zealand. And, as you may have gathered this last month, I don't speak American. Wheelhouse, in American English, apparently means your area of interest and expertise. So I responded, I wouldn't say it was in my wheelhouse. I was morally revolted by what happened at Penn State. I don't recall the rape of middle school boys as being in my wheelhouse. It should not have to be in one's wheelhouse, but in fact the corrupt regime of Graham Spanier, subsequently a convicted criminal, was pretty much a niche wheelhouse interest for America's media. Oh, all that corruption at Penn State. Yeah, but it's got such a great football program. Twelve years ago, it was a lonelier wheelhouse than it should have been. But I would choose to stand at it all over again. I will come back to those middle school boys. In that opening statement four weeks ago, I also said this, quote, Mr. Mann is the plaintiff. Mr. Simberg and I are the defendants. Therefore, it is for man to prosecute his case. He has the burden of proof. He has to prove that he has been defamed, and he has to prove that he has damages. He can't do either. He is undamaged. Unquote. And I emphasize the point. As I said, it is for the plaintiff to prosecute his case. And if he manages to come up with one, the defendants will certainly rebut it. Well, he didn't come up with one. He's had 12 years, including the last week and a half, and he hasn't come up with a case. If I were in most parts of the English-speaking world, I would simply utter four words. No case to answer. And then I would sit down. Because when there is no case, when the plaintiff has not met his burden of proof, it's not actually good for the integrity of justice, for the cause of justice, to have to go through the motions of refuting a case that has not been made. But we should tell you, um, the jury, in a weird decision, decided that Mark Stein and Ransenberg had defamed uh, Michael Mann. For those who don't know, the defamation was that it was after the Louis Free, the former head of the FBI, published his report into Penn State covering up child sex abuse by Jerry Sandusky. They said, well, they apparently investigated Michael Mann over Climate Gate and found him innocent as well. How can we trust these, this place that would cover up child abuse? So the two writers, Rand Simberg and Mark Stein, both compared the exoneration of Michael Mann uh, by Penn State. They, they, they compared that investigation to the investigation that also exonerated mm -hmm. Jerry Sandusky, the child rapist. So they said, and the, and the kind of point they made in their in their articles, in their in their commentary articles, was if uh, if the corrupt and rotten Penn State would cover up for a child rapist, you know, they might just cover up for their star climate scientist. Yes. It's a very reasonable thing to have said, um, but Michael Mann wasn't going to have any of it, and he sued. And in a DC court, the jury sided with Michael Mann after as Phelan says a lengthy court case in which and those of you who have been faithfully listening will know 
the case was not made. Michael no. Mann did not make a case and he certainly didn't make a case for damages. It's quite interesting, actually, what happened. So they were he was so unsuccessful at proving damages that the jury, this jury, even this awful jury agreed and yes. they awarded him one dollar in damages. One dollar, they said, yes. basically, that that's in how much compensatory damages, that that's how much he was injured. They reckoned yes. that to val- evaluate how much was he injured, the value was one dollar. And the reason they did that was because after these allegedly defamatory articles, which are now no longer allegedly, but defamatory, according to the court in D.C., um, his salary went up. He was invited more places. Mm-hmm. He was given more speeches, which are very, very lucrative. He got bo- he, his books were bestsellers, and he got promoted and he, to an Ivy League college. And he got promoted to an I forgot was going to forget that one. And he also won more prizes. And just to throw it in there, he started a very, a very torrid bromance with Leonardo DiCaprio, and he won the Nobel. Prize as well. Well, he didn't win the Nobel Prize, but he claimed <laughs> to have won the Nobel Prize. Yes. This is it. The jury thought, found that he was defamed, even though this is a man who falsely and frequently claimed to have won the Nobel Prize. This is a man, and a man also, also, yeah, and a man also, and we had a lot of that. And I think that was something that I would have thought would have landed very hard with the with the jury was that this is a man that speaks that defames people regularly. And, you know, while he didn't publish his defamatory... By the way, sometimes he did, by the Mm -hmm. way. He published on Twitter. He has 200,000 followers on Twitter. And by the way, many of the newspaper would love to have 200,000 people reading their columns. And in those columns, he called... He called McIntyre, um, who is a, a, a a mining executive from Canada, he called him human filth. He called him an hole without um, you know without uh, stars or anything yes. for the two S's um, this is how he spoke about people but equally he had written about Judith Curry who's a world famous climate scientist in emails you know in emails yes yes the emails weren't you know weren't, weren't published like but the emails went to NASA they didn't go to the guy in the pub that he no- normally has a drink with on a Friday or whatever they didn't go to some casual you know nobody they went to NASA and other bigwigs uh, in the climate community. So to speak about her that way and also to write, you know, he wrote, you know, basically suggested she had slept her way to the top. So this is who he is. But I think the interesting thing, and this is where it'll become interesting in the next, I suppose, again, years that will go forward in this this, um, continuing litigation. Um, One dollar of damages. So basically that's what the, that's Mm -hmm. what the jury decided. But then in punitive damages, they decided to award to Rand Simberg to Rand Simberg, one thousand dollars. The guy against the guy against um, against Rand Simberg, one thousand um, dollars. The guy who originally wrote the article that Mark Stein quoted from, and Mark Stein, one million dollars, and one million dollars. You know, they were all delighted with that. So they really wanted to slap down uh, Mark it, Stein. It makes no sense at all. So we're awarding you one dollars compensatory. So you, so you weren't damaged at all, but. The punitive damage, punitive damages for never being damaged. Yes, is one million dollars. Yes, this is why the Supreme Court actually has had a recent uh, judgment on this. Campbell versus State Farm, Farm. For those of you who want to look it up. Yes, and they overturned a one hundred and forty-five million punitive damages. The original compensatory damage was forty-five thousand. They basically said a punitive claim cannot be more. A punitive award cannot be more than ten times the original award. So. Under that Supreme Court precedent, then Mark Stein will have to pay 
a ten dollars. Mm-hmm. But I, Mark Stein is going wants to go all the way to the Supreme Court. I mean, this means this means, by the way, you can't attack climate scientists or their science. You can't attack COVID scientists oh, or no, their no. or their science. That's right. You know, this is very very serious. This is um, this means experts are now not only are they ruling our lives, they're unchallengeable. Yes, you can't challenge them, even though you know the things that they're talking about will affect every person. That's living, and the and and those to come. I mean, it's the the implications of this carbon nonsense and this mm-hmm. CO two thing and this blaming that you know basically saying that the the temperature in the world was stable through basically all of history yeah. until the industrial revolution, and then we're all about to roast alive. You know, this is that's basically what the climate, what the hockey stick claims, and because of the success of this hockey stick that Michael Mann created, because of it, um. Trillions and trillions of dollars are being devoted to decarbonizing the world. Now, the, the Supreme Court um, refused to deal with this issue, this very case, uh, five years ago when Mark Stein went there. Uh, but Samuel Alito Correct. Dis- dissented. And I just want to read to you. No, this is very good. Uh, he said the petition, and this is what he said while, while saying we should examine this issue. The petition in this case presents questions that go to the very heart of the constitutional guarantee of freedom of speech and freedom of the press. The protection afforded to journalists and others who use harsh language in criticizing opposing advocacy on one of the most important public issues of the day. If the court is serious about protecting freedom of expression, we should grant review. He went on to say, and this Mm -hmm. is actually significant because of the D.C., Juries, very yes, very much know. so. The, contro- the controversial nature of the whole subject of climate change exacerbates the risk that the jurors' determination will be coloured by their preconceptions on the matter. Mm. When allegedly defamatory speech concerns a political or social issue that arouses intense feelings, selecting an impartial jury presents special difficulties. Mm. And when, as is often the case, allegedly defamatory speech is disseminated nationally, a plaintiff may be able to bring suit in whichever jurisdiction seems likely to have the highest percentage of jurors who are sympathetic to the plaintiff's point of view. My God, did that yeah. man, was that man a very far-seeing uh, jurist? He I mean, knew things. You know, and so uh, hopefully it will end up back in the Supreme Court with that kind of wisdom being applied. Yeah. So now we'll go now to our interview with John Andrasik, which we recorded earlier. John... Um, a friend of ours. Yes, uh, better known. Uh, you might know him better as Five for Fighting. He's a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter of hits like Superman, uh, which was, I think, the kind of became the song of um, the nine, 9/11. of nine eleven. And he wrote a hundred years. He wrote Chances. You might know him also. He wrote a song for us for the Gosnell movie, uh, We Are the Innocent. Um, his latest song, Okay, um, really, it's about October seventh, uh, the attacks in Israel. And uh, let's go over to that interview that we did earlier and talk to John and hear a little excerpt of the song. As we said in the intro, John is an amazing singer-songwriter. Uh, also, his his band Five for Fighting. Um, he's a Grammy-nominated singer uh, and songwriter of, of hits like Superman, It's Not Easy, Chances, and A Hundred Years. You might remember Superman. It sort of became the, the song of, ni- of 9-11. Um, and you probably remember him, as we said, from Gosnell, the the amazing song he did for the movie, uh, We Are the Innocents. Um, I think he was telling us recently that he still, people always come up to him at every concert and say the, the, how much they, they loved the song and appreciated what he did. So uh, we're here today. W- welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Nice to be with you again. And uh, certainly had fond memories of 
writing that song for your amazing movie. So uh, thank you for that opportunity. Thank you so much. Yeah. I have such I have such warm memories of that. Uh, you and I meeting. I, I I just remember we met like we met at a party talking about Andrew Breitbart, and then you asked me what <laughs> I what I was doing, and then then the rest is history. Um, yeah. But we're very very grateful. Um, it's it it really is a perfect song for that movie. But yeah. but we're talk but we're here today to talk about um, a new song that you've released, a yeah. very very powerful song with a very powerful video, which people can access. And we're going to put the whole song. You know, we're going to put the link up in the show notes so people can watch it. But you you've written a song about October seventh, and it's called "We Are Not Okay." What what inspired you to to write this song, John? Well, I think we all were kind of shocked and horrified by the events of October seventh. I think reminded many of us of nine eleven, and, mm -hmm. and frankly, the Afghan withdrawal, where we're just seeing images that are so horrific we could never imagine them. But I, then I think the aftermath and the next few months was also incredibly depressing and, and disconcerting when you saw so many institutions kind of morally collapse and um, the celebrations of these atrocities, you know, the UN basically becoming a Hamas mouthpiece, our college campuses becoming these radical beds of anti-Semitism. I think we knew they were pretty bad for a while, but I don't think um, we, we knew how bad. And, and of course, mm -hmm. the media and many in the media becoming kind of mouthpieces for Hamas. So I think the decline of all our kind of institutions, that was incredibly scary. And of course, mm -hmm. even to the, the halls of Congress, the Rashida Tlaibs, the Hamas caucus, mm -hmm. um, I think all that was really scary. And, and you'll remember that in, in the, the initial days after October 7th, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, gave a speech. Um, and it should have been a speech everybody was giving, but credit to him. And he, he basically said the theme of the song that something's deeply wrong. We're not all right. When we have thousands of people in Times Square celebrating the murders of women at a concert, the rapes, the kidnappings of grandmothers, the beheading of babies, something's deeply wrong in the culture. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's really um, kind of what inspired me to write the song, make the video. Um, and I think we are on a tipping point. And it's really not Israel Hamas, it's civilization versus those who want to tear it down. So I think we're in this war for civilization. And, and to me, that's the undercurrent of the song. Yeah. It was, I suppose it was inspired by October 7th. But as you're saying, actually, it's more of a response to, to the response to October 7th. The UN still has not condemned Hamas. Hmm. <laughs> we're seeing that they're, every day we see they're more hand in hand with these terrorists. Yeah. Um, the media still is, is spouting um, Hamas propaganda. Yeah. Um, colleges, you know, are, are still having rallies every day. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that, and, and you know, feel, feel the scariest thing to me, and, and you've seen the polls, you know, kids from 18 to 24, more of them support Hamas Palestinians than Israel. 70% mm -hmm. yeah. says Israel's an oppressor. 20% yeah. uh, believe the Holocaust didn't happen. So we are losing the whole yeah. generation. Yeah of our children to this oppressor, oppressy, woke mind virus. And it's incredibly dangerous. Um, and frankly, you know, you guys are in the arts. The silence of the artistic community mm. has been incredibly shameful, especially in the music industry, Com incredibly shameful and contributing to um, and enabling yeah. uh, Hamas and the evil acts they commit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just to say that, I mean, Look, uh, 
you know that cliche that the Jews run Hollywood. They do not run Hollywood. I mean, if they, you know, uh, and and maybe, and and I think a lot of Jewish people in Hollywood and in the arts have suddenly realized their friends are not their friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, they're they're in shock. I mean, even our, we know just from our. Our, yes. our geographic community, not our artistic community, people who are not in the arts have have lost their best friends, not for supporting the war in Gaza, but for saying this was a massacre. It wasn't. It wasn't. They didn't even get to the. It was like it was. It was their best. Their so called best friend saying, "Well, you deserved it, obviously." You know. <laughs> yeah. So it's. Um, yeah, I mean, we. I mean, I'm sure you have your own stories. I mean, we were we were quite shocked at the stories we heard from friends, you know, and people as film said, geographical, you know, people who live next door to us and stuff, having just an extraordinary experience of what was said to them. Like we know a girl who, you know, a beautiful woman who went to Yale, and she said a friend from Yale wrote to her on October eighth and said to her, "What did you expect?" Yeah. You know, um, did you? I mean, do you have personal, uh, per- personal stories of, of of reactions that you found shocking? Yeah, and 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 there's many high profile Jewish music executor executives, artists who yes. have said nothing. Yes. You know, so it's not just non-Jews; it's even Jewish people yes. are afraid to say anything. Yes. Yeah. And but it was interesting. I was at a screening of a, a film about um, the Nova concert with mostly Jewish people, some music executives. And I do think there's this kind of eye-opening kind of revelation coming that, you know, folks that we thought were on our side or not, you know, they they mentioned George Floyd. And and after George Floyd, so many of the Jewish um, actors, um, musicians, everybody kind of came to the side of that movement. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, well, what about us now? We were basically just rape pillaged People want to kill us. Where is everybody that yeah. we marched with speaking for us? So I think I think not only are people realizing um, that um, that there's a certain hypocrisy out there and cowardice, but also I think everybody's realizing how deep yeah. uh, the anti-Semitism is. You know, Israel shared my song on social media, and I got a very quick glimpse of what Jewish people go through every day. You know, the vitriol, the death threats. Um, <laughs> Wow. And so I think for all of us, you know, I think we knew there was anti-Semitism, but we we figured yes. it was like the usual nut jobs, right? Yes, There's right. nutty yes. people on the left and the right. But now we're like, no, this is entrenched in the culture, yeah. Yeah. and in so many countries. Look at look at the UK. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's 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 inf- inf- it's infesting the whole world. And you wonder, you know, people have said this. Uh, people, you know, you wonder how the Holocaust could have ever happened, yeah. right? Yeah. We always ask ourselves, well, we're seeing how. Yeah. Well, well I, I no, just totally. I, I just want to say to people. Uh, if if you want to read a book about this, this is a, there's a book called written called Jews Don't Count, and it was written by a comedian David Badil, and I think it came out in 2017, 2018. And uh, up until I read that book, actually, I was like you that the anti-Semitism wasn't real. Actually, yeah, it was kind no of yeah, it was exactly. it was confined to weirdos in the corner, and yeah. it was kind of the only time it was sort of brought out was when basically the left wanted to, wanted to weaponize it. Right. Right. Uh, you know, they say, oh, Trump's anti-Semitic. And I'm going, Trump's not right. anti-Semitic. Like, I mean, or or somebody else is anti-Semitic or someone said something that's anti-Semitic. And people, and people are going, I didn't know that was an anti-Semitic yeah. Trump. And I thought that's what anti-Semitism was. It's not. It's deeply entrenched. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. It is so deeply entrenched. And it is so just below the surface. Yeah. And, and all they needed was this to happen. And I mean, there's they're so happy to get out there and and sh- and display it. 
I mean, I'm amazed at the people, mm. ca- you know, people tearing down the posters yeah. of the people who are the hostages that are, that remain. And it's like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Like, it, 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 extraordinary. And they're yes. proud of it. Yeah. Like, they're not even running away. You know, it's, yeah. it's just an extraordinary. I, I mean, the stories are amazing that we that we have heard from, as I said, from people that, you know, that that we know here in Los Angeles who've had you know, have really been shocked by their friends who have not turned up for them. Their friends who didn't phone, who didn't get in touch yes. with them, who didn't sympathize with them. Um, and people have lo- have definitely lost friends or have realized that the friends they thought they had are not friends. were not friends at all. Just, just we, we actually have been to Israel since it happened too. And uh, we've interviewed 15, 20 people and couples and, and families over all over the country. And we're going to be doing an Israel project later on. But um, I, just, I just wanted to ask you... Uh, uh, are you you're going to go to the Israel yourself uh, and and bring this song to Israel or or have you already been? No, I have. I've never been to Israel, uh, but I think with the impact of the song, I've been reached out to by many of the kind of world or national organizations, the AJC, Sukalaus mm-hmm. Group, um, and we're we're trying to continue this because Israel will never win this war with bullets. Um, and the world will never win this kind of culture class with bullets. It's really about changing the narrative, Mm -hmm. you know, and getting to our kids. Our kids are getting all the information from TikTok and Instagram where it's, you know, 80% Palestinian propaganda. So if the arts doesn't step up and make a statement, um, I don't care how many speeches people give or how many articles are written, um, we're going to lose. So I'm trying to, um, like you guys, um, use the arts to, to fight this war. So we have some, um, war for our soul and it's not a war against the Palestinian people. The hero of my video is a Palestinian woman who's calling out Hamas. The hero of my video is a son of one of the Hamas leaders saying we have to end this death culture. So it's also about supporting voices that are calling for change, supporting the Iran women's fight for, um, for some semblance of freedom, the Mossies of the world. So it's really, it's about supporting all these courageous people trying to address th- this kind of, um, this rot that we see in so many cultures. So trying to um, to build these artistic projects and certainly going to Israel will be part of that. And I look forward to going. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Everybody that goes and, and, and I'm excited to, I'm excited about your projects. I'm excited to Thank hear you. about your trip as well. But I think, I think, and also, the Israeli people and Jewish people, I think, need to feel they have support. I've yes. gotten thousands of, of emails and comments and texts from people just saying, thank you. thank you. You know, we feel abandoned. We feel so alone in this. So I think just going, writing these songs, doing these efforts, um, just gives them hope that the world has not completely lost its mind. You're, who are you trying to, you I mean, are you trying to reach a general audience, a young audience? I mean, tell me, <laughs> yeah. You know, I just kind of write the songs and yeah. I put them out and I, I, I'm not very good at marketing and, and all mm. that stuff. But I do think, you know, considering, you know, it, was, it went viral on Twitter and, and it was really resonated there. But I think what you really have to do is, is get these pieces on um, on Instagram and TikTok mm. and, and, and not just me, some 60 year old like guy who had a hit 20 years ago. You need you need the younger kids. So I'm, I'm reaching out to some Israeli artists. I've talked to some Ukrainian artists, um, some Afghan artists, mm-hmm. because we're all in the same boat. Yeah. So I think I think we all have to speak with one voice. It's not just about Israel. It's about good versus evil. Yeah. So 
trying to enlist folks like that and and we'll see where it goes um but it's as you guys know it's it's really a an uphill climb yeah i think you're i think i i i can't recommend going to israel enough by the way i mean it's weird we're a bit like you though john we 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 had never we had never been to israel and then we go just after you know while there's a war going on yes. but w- the people that are there i mean we had an extraordinary experience i mean talking to these people these survivors and the heroes i i you'll it'll be a wonderful thing to do and they'll really really appreciate mm-hmm. you and i i think whatever plans you have you know accelerate them because it they need they as you said they need that support they need to know that they've been heard that they've been that their their pain is being acknowledged i mean the stories are extraordinary i mean we're we're just um still processing the stories that we that we heard from these extraordinary people who've who've lost so much who've witnessed the worst possible thing who were living in this this lovely life and so many of them i think one of the things that we thought that i thought was most extraordinary was so many of them particularly the people at the nova festival at the nova party young you know very liberal um you know they're all peaceniks they're all loving you know global all about warming global warming we yeah. spoke to a lovely girl and she was there explaining how dangerous global warning was to the group at the Nova Festival you can imagine right so she the world that she knew you know it doesn't exist basically and she knows that and she said that and many of them many of the other people who had been at the party said similar things to us that you know everything they knew about the world where they thought we're all the same really we're all the same you know there's no there's no big difference you know and um and they've learned that there is actually huge differences actually and that there's people who want their annihilation um and and if they hadn't heard it and, and hadn't noticed at the Nova party what happened then everyone you know all those people in New York all those people i mean you mm. have it in the video i think it's really well done in in John's video um for the for the song we are not okay you have like like i think you've got a piece from like outside sydney opera house where yes. they're saying gas the jews am i right yeah i mean it's it's get it's global right yeah. and you're right i mean the folks um on the border there were the most um friendly to the Palestinian cause. That's right. Yes. <laughs> they, they were the advocates. Yeah. They they hate Netanyahu. Yep. And yeah. those were the ones that were massacred in yeah. cold blood. Yeah. And and you also, you know, you don't think about too is at, at the screening I saw there was a gentleman there who participated in some of the body recoveries. The people mm-hmm. that have to go in yeah. and recover the bodies and and that are massacred and it it, it got, you know, they were so evil that they would you know they would destroy the faces of people because in, in jewish burials you know they're open casket and and it, it, so th- those people will be traumatized for life you know just like 9-11 we're all traumatized to a certain degree but but yeah to, to meet the people who actually had to do those things yeah you don't think about that and their yeah. lives are forever mm-hmm. you know scarred so so yeah i i think um I think there's so much we have to do and we're just getting started. You know, I think this is a generational battle and um, we have to be in for the long haul. Well, we're very appreciative of what you've done, John. We really are. Um, And we're going to play out. What we're going to do is we're going to play a little piece of the song to end this interview. But thank you so much for joining us and we will see you very soon, John, we hope. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks Thanks. so much. Bye. I'm going to give you four words. We are not all right. We are not all right when we see young girls pulled from their home and dragged through the streets. When we see grandmothers being pulled away and children shot in front of their families. We are not all right when right here in the city of New York you have those who celebrate at the same time when the devastation is taking place in our city. This is a time for choosing. 
This is a time to mourn. The moral man is losing. Forbidden loss for person and I just remembered uh, you know that how how I first met John Andrasik was because of Andrew Breitbart yeah. that he and I met at a party and kind of um, started chatting to each other about about Andrew and then he said to me I remember this so distinctly like, what are you well, what are you, you know what else are you doing and I said well we're doing this we're making this movie about this abortion doctor from Philadelphia and I started telling him about Gosnell mm-hmm. and he said I'd like to write a song for you and I remember we sent him the movie um you know, he said, just send the movie when it's mm. done or whatever. And he wrote a song within a week. Um, and you you hear it at the end. It plays over the credits of the of the of the movie and it's it's really, really powerful. So we just love John. So I'm very grateful that he was able to come on today and it, mm. what a powerful thing he's done by by speaking out about October October seventh. So few artists have. Just want you to know that there was an earthquake four point seven in Malibu, which is about twenty miles away from us. And uh and McElhenney was in our cool garage, and so was Top Cat. If you look at the bottom right of this <laughs> screen, you'll see Top Cat. I've never seen him move so fast <laughs> in my life. If you listen to the start of the video... I don't move quite so quickly. <laughs> if you listen to the start of the video, you'll hear the end of the earthquake, and then you'll see... Uh, now, the uh, bleeping that we're doing was the word gosh. <laughs> you yeah. believe that, gosh. You or, said gosh, but we know that people wouldn't like the word gosh. Or, or some, fruit. Or uh, It was... Or flip, maybe it was flip. Maybe with flippinel, flippinek, flippinek. Okay, let's watch something like that. Let's watch the earthquake that welcomed us home to Los Angeles. I'm going out. I'm out the street. Fuck the cat. What's the cat? Yeah, you can hear me sort of say Phelan, you know, because Phelan's always saying to go out to the middle of the road. But I mean, actually, the thing that was extraordinary was the cat could have been killed because he just he shot out like such at such a rate. If there'd been a car passing, we'd have been done for. Luckily, he'd, he'd we have been live, passing. Luckily, he'd have been passing. Yes. Well, we're not going to talk about that. Very, that'd be a very sad prospect. So um, anyway, everyone's OK and uh, nothing, no damage to the building. So today, obviously, is uh, Valentine's Day. And if thought, you're watching this on Wednesday and if you're watching it on Wednesday, um. And we thought we should have a recipe. And given the fact that we just got back and we're super, super exhausted, I didn't wasn't fit to put a recipe together. But what I did think was, why don't we take something from the archives? So 
This is a great recipe from the archives. And what I love about this is, and I'm just going to remind people, is so this is called, it's called a chocolate lava cake. Chocolate lava, lava cake for two. It's mm-hmm. from the New York Times. And some of you will remember, those of you who saw this at the time will remember that I do have a subscription to the New York Times and I do think it's almost worth it just for the recipes. Mm-hmm. And the best part of all of it is not the recipes. The recipes are marvellous, but what's yes. really marvellous is the commentary. So this particular recipe involves using ramekins and I started using, I started reading the comments back then <clears throat> and the comments are just hilarious. Yes. Like basically, I'm 65. This is what people wrote. Realised the dish I was using for our dog's water was actually a ramekin. I'm 60. Had ramekins. No joy. Gave them to Goodwill. Missed ramekins. Creme brulee. So bought more. Found the box that never made it to Goodwill. Felt bad for having a ridiculous number of ramekins. No joy. Made this ro- made this recipe. The joy is back. Very good. I'm 63. Own ramekins. Bought them on the sly many years ago. I was young then. I'm older now. Kept them off the scene. Hidden away. Why? Husband, 67, believes they take up an obscene amount of precious storage space. Mm. He did buy crumpet rings, however, at the start of the pandemic. I will make lava cake. I will demonstrate the redeeming qualities of ramekins. I will fantasize about replacing crumpet rings with ramekins in the coveted drawer. Yes. Kevin, I'm 37 and recently acquired ramekins. To be fair to the other posters, I live in Canada, where mid-30s ramekin acquisition is compulsory, yeah, both socially so. and legally. The results of this recipe were excellent. And it goes on and on and on like that. It's like, so good. I'm 25. Don't own ramekins. Muffin tins worked fine. Made four. I'm 86 years old. What is a ramekin? Pat, it's illegal in most states to own a ramekin if you're under the age of 30. I'm 55. Had ramekins. Had teens too. Teens broke ramekins. Used no, Pyrex. monsters. Used Pyrex cups. Tremendous. I have ramekins and kept them. I guess they sparked a joy. Um, oh, so it just, oh, what? That's a little dig at Miss Kondo. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, you keep things that spark joy. Yes. Kill that is not a dig at her. That's actually saying that that person agrees with me. I think that's saying, what do you know about ramekins, Marie Kondo? No. What do you know about joy? No. I don't think that's at all. I think, in fact, actually, mm. that's an endorsement of Marie Kondo, uh. who, by the way, apparently, and we must look into this at some point, apparently Marie Kondo went off and had children and then decided that tidying up would have to wait until after the teenagers have left the house, mm-hmm. which I think could take a while. She basically, I think what's she gave her, what's up. What's your excuse? What's my, I have, no, I, that, this is something, I, yeah, this might be actually, this is something I could do for Lent. And by the way, that's also something to remember that today it's also the beginning of Lent. That's correct. And what are you giving up or what are you taking up? And maybe taking up things is better than giving up things. So maybe taking up tidying the house film could be something that we could do as a group. Now that we've realized that we have a little untidiness thing, let's go over to that recipe right now because this is a great recipe and I don't think you need to be a twosome to make this recipe. Mm-hmm. I can You can make it fabulously for one and enjoy it all to yourself. You're saying as long as you have a durable relationship? With a ramekin. Uh, so we should talk about the Irish referendums about durable relationships. Okay, let's go over to that recipe now. Okay. Okay, we're coming to the end of the program and the last thing we have to share with you, which is really fabulous, is this really, really fabulous recipe from the New York Times called chocolate lava cake and honestly the New York <coughs> Times aren't good for much but I'll tell you one thing every now and again they surprise and this is a really great recipe but the thing that I just love about the New York Times so we have a subscription to the New York Times so you don't have to read it people who have ramekins and by the way we have ramekins and not alone do we have ramekins we have several sizes of ramekins but can um, I just and, say and we have Le Creuset ramekins oh, oh, oh. and in fact we made this lava cake in the ramekins and it was said husband's birthday this past weekend 54 Oh. I think that's fair. 
Shots fired. Shots, Shots fired. fired. 1047. Well, here's what I would say to that, by Pursuit the way. Pursuit underway. One, here's the one thing I would say to that. Civilian in need of um, The one thing I would say assistance. to that. The one thing I would say to that is Sh um, that this wounded said, civilian said husband. I would say the one thing I would say to that is that his wife would love to be 54. That's all I will say to yes, that. Well, you don't you don't get points for you don't get points for insulting someone. Did by I, by then, I, sort of self-deprecating yourself. We're all about truth here, Philem. Okay, so for this beautiful recipe, you've that's got to my pre truth. That's my truth. His I, truth. You got to preheat the oven to four hundred and twenty-five, which is a little tricky. And Philem is going to get into a whole stink now about the fact that I was impatient and wouldn't wait for the mm -hmm. oven to heat up. Four hundred twenty-five is a big heat, it's by a, the way. It's a lot of heat now. Okay, then next thing you do is melt the chocolate. Melt three and a half ounces of chocolate, which is like one of these bars, but it has to have at least 70% cocoa in it, right? Um, and just what I would do is, yeah, so you're going to melt the chocolate with three tablespoons of butter. Um, and I do that, actually do it in the microwave and just do it in 30 seconds. Careful, do it very carefully because you don't want it to cook. You just want it to melt. And I would take it out I, after yeah. 30 seconds, in and out after 30 seconds I until wouldn't it gets even down. Take it. I would do it in 20 seconds. I did it and I, you know, a minute and a half is too much. About minute, I, I, you can I, I, end up with boiled butter, basically. Be okay, careful. so just be careful. Be careful. Just keep opening the, the, the microwave. A lot of people, by the way, can do this over a bain-marie. I think it's too much trouble, which means a pot of boiling wa of water, boiling water, basically, and you put another pot on top of it. Too much mess. Anyway, get a second bowl. In the second bowl, you can see us doing that now here. Add three tablespoons of sugar, one egg, one egg yolk, vanilla, one eighth of a spoon of salt. And then whisk violently, whisk violently. And what's very useful then was to have said husband, whose birthday it was this past weekend, he's 54, and whisk that violently until it becomes smooth and thick and foamy. And then add in two tablespoons of flour and whisk until smooth. You didn't say uh, and uh, then an eighth of what salt? An eighth of a, uh, an eighth of a, tea of a, of a teaspoon. teaspoon. An eighth of a teaspoon, very little salt. Then get your ramekins, said ramekins from the earlier conversation, and then butter them, butter them and give them a dusting of sugar. So throw in some <coughs> sugar and just dust it around. And then so you want to add the chocolate mixture to the egg mixture, gently combined, gently combined, you can see it's gently combined, then pour them into the two ramekins. Then get them in the oven. Don't put them on a baking sheet, put them directly onto the oven. You see the way I did it, so that they get an air underneath and everything mm -hmm. like that. And then we're going to cook these for about 10, 12, depending on your oven, as I always say, but keep a good eye on them. Then, and this is where you start praying, you take them out and you put a... Make sure the top is hard, right? It has not, to be not hard. hard. Not hard, but not overcooked. Hard. I wouldn't say hard, I would say set. Set. Set, but not hard. Don't overbake. Then you, you don't want to overbake, because then you, but by the way, no matter what happens, this is gonna be delicious anyway. Then you invert the plate, and as you're inverting the plate, you say, quick hail Mary. And so don't forget to scrape right with a sharp knife. Oh yeah, knife. you should, that's yes, right. Release it with, release the cake with a sharp knife around the edges. Then turn it over. I see a cat coming in there, Philip. Turn it over. Oh, yes. And you're going to eat this immediately with um, joy. Cream and, joy. and cream and ice cream. And cream and joy ice cream. Joy and cream and ice cream. And by the way, you can do this <clears> on your own. You could do it with a friend. Um, but by the way, very delightful on your own as well, by the way. Uh, we did it because the birthday boy. So look at us delighting in that. And I can actually say this is a great, great recipe. And really, even and don't worry if your if your lava cake collapses, yummy, yummy, yummy. Eat it anyway. But obviously, if you're trying to show off to 
of people that well, are. Now we have a cat. Now we have a cat who's claiming, who's got a plan on tossing they a cat. Toss he doesn't toss. No, he's all very good, gentle. That's us for this week. Hold on. Well, let's bring the cat over and see. It's, uh, have the cat say hello then. Okay, everyone uh, needs to go on YouTube now and look at the cat. Look at the cat. Look at Mr. That's top cat. A little bit overweight. I'm not going to talk about that now. So that's one of those recipes that totally works. So yes. I just highly, highly recommend it. I think you have to do it. Phelan, did you want to say something about the Irish referendum? Uh, we should do it another week. We'll do it another week. Yeah. yeah this week we're just we're just struggling to keep on keep on on. But uh, if you want to read about the Irish referendum, um, go to gripped.ie. You'll get lots of details there. But it's um, it's one of these. It's kind of a woke referendum that they even the woke. I think they wanted to try and um, redefine women, but they realized that that would not go go down too well. So then they decided to redefine the family. So hey. Yeah. There we are. We'll, we'll come back to that, though. We'll come back to that. So that's enough from us for this week. So we will see you next week. And hopefully by next week, we'll have uh, not be quite so exhausted. And we'll be going on the Markstein cruise. So um, oh, during yes. that week, hopefully we'll be able to report to you from the Markstein cruise. From the Markstein cruise. So, um, yeah, we look forward to that. But we'll see you next week. We'll be in Los Angeles next week. See so see you then. Bye. Bye.